This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Brought to you by Charity Mobile, the phone company that shares your values. More information is available at charitymobile.com. Today is the Holy Day of Obligation and an otherwise forgotten feast day in the church, partially due to it being renamed and refocused by John the 23rd back in 1960. Very strange, really. This is a feast that goes back to ancient times. It was the feast of the naming of our Lord when he underwent the ancient, uh, well, we'll say, ritual uh, that our elder brothers perform on the, shall we say, snipping of the young boys. It is a, the, the proper word for that, I'm pretty sure, is a sensitive term on this platform, so I won't use it. But they, it, it's an important feast nonetheless, and it's a holy day of obligation and still is a holy day of obligation on the new calendar. It's just been turned into the feast of the solemnity of the most holy mother of God, which is interesting. So and this really has to do a lot with the naming of our Lord, because this is when our Lord was bestowed his holy name. Anyway, for you today, I have Dom Prosper Geringer's reflection on that written back in 1870. I hope you find this useful. Our newborn King and Savior is eight days old today. The star that guides the Magi is advancing towards Bethlehem, and five days hence will be standing over the stable, where our Jesus is being nursed by his mother. Today the Son of Man is to be subject to that ritual. This first sacrifice of his innocent flesh must honor the eighth day of his mortal life. Today also a name is to be given to him. The name will be Jesus, and it means Savior. So that mysteries abound on this day, let us not pass one of them over, but honor them with all possible devotion and love. But this day is not exclusively devoted to that ritual. The mystery of it forms part of that other great mystery, the incarnation and infancy of our Savior, a mystery on which the Church fixes her heart, not only during this octave of Christmas, but during the whole forty days of Christmas tide. Then, as regards our Lord's receiving the name of Jesus, a special feast, which we shall soon be keeping, is set apart in honor of it. There is another object that shares the love and devotion of the faithful on this great solemnity. This object is Mary, the Mother of God. The Church celebrates today the august prerogative of this divine maternity, which was conferred on a mere creature, and which made her the cooperatrix with Jesus in the great work of man's salvation. The Holy Church of Rome used formally to say two Masses on the 1st of January. One was for the octave of Christmas Day, the other was in honor of Mary. She now unites the two intentions in one sacrifice. In the same manner as, in the rest of this day's office, she unites together the acts of her adoration of the Son and the expression of her admiration for and confidence in the Mother. Let us not be surprised, therefore, at the enthusiasm and profound respect wherewith the Church extols the Blessed Virgin and her prerogatives. Let us, on the contrary, be convinced that all the praise the Church can give her and all the devotion she can ever bear towards her are far below what is due to her as Mother of the Incarnate God. No mortal will ever be able to describe or even comprehend how great a glory accrues to her from this sublime dignity. For as the glory of Mary comes from her being the Mother of God, 
one would have first to comprehend God himself in order to measure the greatness of her dignity. It is to God that Mary gave our human nature. It is God whom she had as her child. It is God who gloried in rendering himself, inasmuch as he is man, subject to her. Hence the true value of such a dignity, possessed by a mere creature, can only be appreciated in proportion to our knowledge of the sovereign perfections of the great God, who thus deigns to make himself dependent upon that favored creature. Let us therefore bow down in deepest adoration before the majesty of our God. Let us therefore acknowledge that we cannot respect, as it deserves, the extraordinary dignity of her whom he chose for his mother. The same sublime mystery overpowers the mind from another point of view. What were the feelings of such a mother towards such a son? The child she holds in her arms and presses to her heart is the fruit of her virginal womb, and she loves him as her own. She loves him because she is his mother, and a mother loves her child as herself, nay, more than herself. But when she thinks upon the infinite majesty of him who has thus given himself to her to be the object of her love and her fond caresses, she trembles in her humility, and her soul has to turn, in order to bear up against the overwhelming truth, to the other thought of the nine months she had held this babe in her womb, and of the filial smile she gave her when her eyes first met his. These two deep-rooted feelings, of a creature that adores and of a mother that loves, are in Mary's heart. The being mother of God implies all this, and may we not well say that no pure creature could be exalted more than she, and that in order to comprehend her dignity we should first have to comprehend God himself, and that only God's infinite wisdom could plan such a work, and only his infinite power accomplishment. A mother of God, it is the mystery whose fulfillment the world, without knowing it, was awaiting for four thousand years. It is the work which in God's eyes was incomparably greater than that of the creation of a million new worlds, for such a creation could cost him nothing. But he has to speak, and all whosoever he wills is made. But that a creature should become mother of God, he has had not only to suspend the laws of nature by making a virgin mother, but also to put himself in a state of dependence upon the happy creature he chose for his mother. He had to give her rights over himself, and contract the obligation of certain duties toward her. He had to make her his mother, and himself her son. It follows from all this that the blessings of the Incarnation, for which we are indebted to the love wherewith the Divine Word loved us, may and ought to be referred, though in an inferior degree, to Mary herself. If she be the mother of God, it is because she consented to it, for God vouchsafed, not only to ask her consent, but moreover to make the coming of his Son into this world dependent upon her giving it. As this his son, the eternal word, spoke his fiat over chaos, and the answer to his word was creation, so did Mary use the same word, fiat, let it be done unto me. See St. Luke chapter 1, verse 38. God heard her word, and immediately the Son of God descended into her virginal womb. After God, then it is to Mary, his ever-blessed mother, that we are indebted for our Emmanuel. The divine plan for the world's salvation included their being a mother of God, and as heresy sought to deny the mystery of the Incarnation, it equally sought to deny the glorious prerogative of Mary. Nestorius asserted that Jesus was only man. Mary, consequently, was not mother of God, but merely mother of a man called Jesus. This impious doctrine roused the indignation of the Catholic world. The East and West united in proclaiming that Jesus was God and man, in unity of person, and that Mary, being his mother, was, in strict truth, mother of God. This victory over Nestorianism was won at the Council of Ephesus. It was hailed by the Christians of those times with an enthusiasm of faith which not only proved the tender love they had for the Mother of God, but was sure to result in the setting up of some solemn trophy. 
that then would perpetuate the memory of the victory. It was that then that began, in both the Greek and Latin churches, the pious custom of uniting during Christmas, the veneration due to the mother with the supreme worship given to the son. The day assigned for the united commemoration varied in the several countries, but the sentiment of religion which suggested the feast was one and the same throughout the entire church. At that time, after eight days were accomplished, the child should, should be snipped. His name was called Jesus, which was called by the angel, before he was conceived in the womb. The child is subjected to this ritual. He is now not only a member of the human race, he is made today a member of God's chosen people. He subjects himself to this painful ceremony, to this symbol of one devoted to the divine service, in order that he may fulfill all justice. He receives at the same time his name. The name is Jesus, and it means a savior. A savior. Then he is to save us. Yes, and he is to save us by his blood. Such is the divine appointment, and he has bowed down his will to it. The incarnate word is upon the earth in order to offer a sacrifice, and the sacrifice is begun today. The first shedding of the blood of the man-god was sufficient to the, full, to the fullness and perfection of a sacrifice. But he is come to win the heart of the sinner, and that heart is so hard that all the streams of that precious blood which flow from the cross on Calvary will scarcely make it yield. The drops that were shed today would have been enough to satisfy the justice of the Eternal Father, but not to, to resolve man's miseries. And the babe's heart would not be satisfied to leave us unresolved. He came for man's sake, and his love for man will go to what looks like excess. He will carry out the whole meaning of his dear name. He will be our Jesus, our Savior. But the eighth day since the birth of our Emmanuel, let us consider the great mystery which the Gospel tells us was accomplished in his divine flesh. That ritual. On this day, the earth sees the first fruits of that bloodshedding, which is to be its redemption, and the first sufferings of that divine Lamb, who is to atone for our sins. Let us be compassionate towards our sweet Jesus, who meekly submits to the knife which has put upon him the sign of the servant of God. Mary, who has watched over him with the most affectionate solicitude, has felt her heart sink within her, as each day brought her nearer to this hour of her child's first suffering. She knows that the justice of God does not necessarily require this first sacrifice, or might accept it on account of its infinite value for the world's salvation. And yet the infinite flesh of her son must, even so early as this, be torn and his blood flown down his infant limbs. What must be her affliction at seeing the preparations of this painful ceremony? She cannot leave her Jesus, and yet... How shall she bear to see him writhe under his first experience of suffering? She must stay, then, and hear his sobs and heart-rending cries. She must bear the sight of the tears of her divine babe, forced from him by the violence of the pain. We need St. Bonaventure to describe this wonderful mystery. And if he weeps, thinkest thou his mother could keep in her tears? No, she too wept, and when the babe who was standing on her lap perceived her tears, he raised his little hand to her mouth and face, as though he would beckon to her not to weep, for it grieved him to see her weeping, whom he so tenderly loved. The mother on her side was touched to the quick at the suffering and tears of the babe, and she consoled him by caresses and fond words. And as she was quick to see his thoughts, as though he had expressed them in words, she said to him, If thou wishes me to cease weeping, weep not thou, my child." If thou weepest, I must weep too. Then the babe, from compassion for the mother, repressed his sobs, and Mary wiped his eyes in her own, and put his face to her own, and gave him her breast, and consoled him in every way she could. From the Meditations on the Life of Christ by St. Bonaventure And now what shall we give in return to the Savior of our souls? For this ritual, which he has deigned to suffer, in order to show us how much he loved us, we must, according to the teaching of the Apostle, 
do the same to our heart from all its evil afflictions, its sins, and its wicked inclinations. We must begin at once to live that new life, of which the infinite Jesus is the sublime model. Let us thus show him our compassion for this, his earliest suffering for us, and be more attentive than we have hitherto been to the example he sets us. Again, today is a holy day of obligation. It represents the naming of our Lord, and it represents, in many ways, the observation of this feast still, even if many are loath to talk about it today, for a mystery that I will never understand. <laughs> anyway, come let us rejoice in him, and let us go to Mass today. And yes, you will still have to go to Mass tomorrow. The, the holy day of obligation today does not cover your Sunday obligation. Anyway. I hope that you found this helpful. As always, pray for the church. I'm Anthony Stein. Ave Maria.